I was reading an article about um, Vence, is it not Vence, in the south of France, where Matisse built, worked and built a particular chapel. Have you been in it, Mijo? Yeah. Is it extraordinary? Yeah. It's simple. So, uh? simple. It's very simple. Somebody said, Somebody describing it um, said, uh, the, perhaps the person who wrote the article, said, I felt un an unusual for me combination of serenity and inexplic inexplicable joy. And they said uh, that Matisse said of that uh, place when he built it, that he said, um, I want them to know that I thought that it was the wish of the Creator that all who entered here should feel purified and relieved of their burdens. And what I liked so much about that particular sentence is the idea that you could, in this lifetime, be relieved of your burdens. My sense of that is that your life would be the same, but that it wouldn't be burdensome which is, I think, what's the, what's the deep teaching, that our lives on all levels are just what they are. And whether or not they're a burden is how we hold them. Um, I don't think there's anything new to say to you. I mean, I think that's what we've been saying all the time. I think when we began last week, I was saying that there were less and less, there were less, and less things that... Uh, I'll start that sentence again, that I'd been talking with my friend Jack and we'd said, you know, the more years that go by that we teach, the, the lesser and lesser things there are to say, you know, that in the beginning, um, in the beginning, when a person went on a mindfulness retreat for 10 days, they could expect um, on the first day to hear about the Four Noble Truths and then the Eightfold Path and then the five hindrances, and the six sense doors, and the seven factors of enlightenment, and the ten paramitas, and uh, the four Brahma Viharas. And in, in, uh, with all respect, it begins to sound like the partridge in a pear tree that you get <laughs> six of these, and five of those, and four of those, and three of those. But that it's easier than that, that human beings have the capacity with their mind to have their life, and be relieved of the sense that it was a burden. It's just what it is. Without losing their wits about whether it was pleasant or unpleasant, knowing that it's this or it's that. You know, over the years, I've said this sentence I don't know how many times, and, and it's been meaningful to people. People will probably say when I'm gone, they'll say, Sylvia told that story about somebody telling the story that uh, she was able to work with her very difficult illness that came on in early midlife by saying to herself when she got up in the morning, this isn't what I wanted, but it's what I got. You know, it becomes very, like, ordinary. I think this isn't what I wanted, but it's what I've got. And to know that with a mind and actually feel that without pushback from it. Do you remember last week I read the um, 
This is not the whole of the empty boat by Chuang Tzu, but the second paragraph. If a man is crossing a river and an empty boat collides with his own skiff, even though he be a bad-tempered man, he will not become very angry. But if he sees a man in the boat, he will shout at him to steer clear. If the shout is not heard, he will shout again and yet again and begin cursing all because there's somebody in the boat. Yet if the boat was empty, if the boat were empty, he would not be shouting and not angry. Isn't that so? You know, the boat is empty, you'd say, that happens. Somebody said, was it last week or after last week, that somebody said, not even, you know, if the boat were empty, we would get angry in absentia about who didn't tie up their boat well. Imagine somewhere there's a person who didn't tie up the boat well. But that it would be very hard for the mind to say, look at that. For whatever reason, this boat has gotten loose and banged into mine. Which is, there's a bumper sticker that says in a more crude way, things happen. You know, things happen. That's the way, you know, that's the way life is. And, and to be able to say that, and say it's a complex world. Things happen because other things... The Buddha did say that. There are all kinds of... But it, it's not even a quote that, that's a memorable quote because what he said, in essence, was because of this, that. Say, so what do you mean, because of this, that? Well, because of everything, because of everything, there is something else. You might think of it as uh, uh, one way of teaching interdependency. Nothing happens without a cause. Uh, it's a lawful, being embodied and, and being in this world is a, lawful, uh, is, is a lawful experience. If you step off a roof into thin air, you fall down. If a tree limb is rotten, it falls down when it's ready to fall down. And whoever is there is there. Uh, when things happen, sometimes there are so many near misses of accidents, and sometimes there aren't near misses. Uh, earlier this year, up in Nevada, uh, a girl rode her bicycle out into the street. A few days after her family had moved to California for a new life, and she rode her bicycle around a corner and got hit by a car, and the driver was sober and driving at the right speed, and maybe he had the sun in his eyes, and maybe he didn't see how she was coming around the corner. But everybody's life was inextricably changed forever, including, of course, the drivers. And two seconds later, it would have been different. Well, two sec three seconds earlier, it would have been different. And at that moment, everything comes together. And last week I taught, and it's been on my mind all week long, because it may have been the most important teaching of that whole month-long retreat that I was on, the, the teaching about uh, restoring equanimity or cultivating equanimity in one's own mind by saying to oneself, so, this is what's happening now. Let's see what happens next. I just, I just love that. The whole idea of this is what's happening now I don't have to pounce on it and do something with it. I don't have to grab it. I don't have to resent it. I don't have to react to it. I, I should respond to it, probably. Sometimes you respond by doing nothing because that's the proper response or this isn't what I wanted, but it's what I got. Uh, so the response is to say, okay, 
This is what I've got. But let's see what happens next. It's, it has such a, a, a redemptive feeling in my mind that uh, uh, I'm, not, I'm not impotent in my life. I can wait. I can wait to see what happens next. Maybe in the next moment I'll know what's called for, what I'm supposed to do. I'm very, I'm very taken with continuing that theme and continuing the theme which we started last week of how do we tell stories about our life and how do the stories of our life work um, or not. And what if you take away all the stories? You, we, I told some of the stories that you know, that everybody knows about the double arrow and the uh, the the double dagger and the poison arrow, and the monks who carry the woman across the muddy stream bed. I didn't tell the story about um, the monk being chased by a tiger. I don't think I did. Right? Well, you tell me if I did. Told the story last week? No, no. So this is maybe another one of those quintessential stories that you could tell a lot of stories about that it would be a modern story of that, of the monk being chased by a tiger as he's walking along quietly and all of a sudden here comes the tiger, rushing, running, 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 tiger running after, comes to a cliff, leaps off the cliff because the tiger's right behind him and grasps onto a vine hanging over the side of the cliff uh, and is dangling by the vine over a chasm far below. Chasm is far below. It's got it's the, the Green River or the Grand Canyon or something. It's a far way down, dangling by the vine. And as he's dangling and looking down at the water rushing below and looking up at the tiger growling over the side of the edge, he notices, you tell me, he notices a... A strawberry. Oh, he notices the mouse first, and he says strawberry. Okay. Notices a mouse. Notices a mouse that comes out from a crack in the rock and begins to gnaw at his vine. <laughs> then he notices a strawberry growing also out of that same rock, and he picks the strawberry, and he eats it, and he says, this strawberry is delicious. Now, I hear somebody make that derisive statement. <laughs> like, give me a break. But, but uh, when you think about it, that's about it for our lives, you know. We are in between here and here all the time with the mouse gnawing. And you just don't know. Isn't that true? We hang, we hang in between. Every time we get in our car, we don't think about my life is in the hands of the people behind me and in front of me, or, my, or the tree branch that might fall on me, or the sinkhole that might open under me, or the earthquake that might happen around me. We don't think about that. But all of those things could happen. They could happen anytime. The sinkholes, if you want to think about it, scary. I mean, it happened to people while they're sleeping in their beds, you know. But the thing is, we are having taken birth really in a, in a uh, vulnerable position. And there's no way out at the other end except the end of our lives. These lives are finite. 
You don't know when. They don't come with a, with a date. I, you know, when I was young, I used to think about that. And I've had people actually tell me, uh, people have said, you know, I have an enormous fear of dying, but if someone just told me you're going to die when you're 84 or 67 or whatever it is, then I wouldn't worry. I would just live my life and figure it's like a vacation in Hawaii and I'm coming home through, you know, uh, you know, in six days I go home, you don't start to lament on the, fi on the fourth day to, oh, only two days left, you just finish the vacation. Do you think that's true? Uh, what? <laughs> no, I, I think that, you know, if we could just live our lives knowing we're going to die any minute, it just, I just think it just has so much more intensity to it. And um, and not be afraid. It's something that's going to happen. I, I, I want to also say that uh, Ellen, Ellen Bass's poem, Relax, is a modern version of this story uh, happening to a woman. And just the things that can happen in your everyday life that just get you so frazzled. You don't happen to know that by heart. Do you? Oh, you know, I'll find it on the phone. Find it on the phone. Let me know when you found it. <laughs> because we are, we are really all living. Be well, here's another interesting thing to put. I currently know two situations. Two people who are dear to me are closely connected to two other people who have really life-threatening illnesses and might well die in the not-so-far future. Both of the stories that I am hearing from person A and person B uh, are about having said to their person, what do you have left that you want to do? The, and both of these people who are really in a, in a end-of-life situation are currently feeling all right. They, they're not in pain. They're, not, they're, 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 they're able to get around. And both of my people, the intermediaries in this story, have said, what do you have left? What's your bucket list? What do you want to do? And both of these stories are unfolding, and they include seeing a rocket launch. Uh, that, you, know, you know enough people, you get to be able to go see a rocket launch. And you can arrange a rocket launch. And uh, Somebody else got a White House tour, because if you know, you know, you put it out, so-and-so wants to see the White House, and it gets arranged. Somebody knows somebody who's an aide at the White House, who can, who can, because you, you, you can all get a tour of the White House, but you have to be like nine months from now and be on a waiting list. So all of these things are in order to organize it. And all the people involved are very happy having done that. Like now, good, I did that. So one of the things that I think about is not, is one thing on the bucket list the end of everything that you want to do, but how during, during the experience, because I'm not the person having the experience, how do you have an experience where it's not in the back of your mind, I have two months or I have three months? How can you, be, I haven't been in that position, so I don't know how it feels. That someone said, I really wanted to see my child have her bat mitzvah. And I know somebody who did, and they, or they changed the bat mitzvah to earlier so that the mother could be there and it could happen. I wanted to see my grandson get married, and they organized it, and they did. Are, are they, how does that, how, does that make a sense? Does that ring in your mind? Do you have bucket lists? Are there things that you think I'll feel better once I... I don't know. What do, what do you want to do? Yeah. Well, it's not quite the, the bucket list thing, but 
with my first spine surgery especially, I was aware that one complication could be paralysis. And even though I think there's no way to grapple with that until it happens, I just went into it thinking, okay, there's a chance I will never walk again after the surgery. And so really leading up to, like swimming is such a passion for me, so to swim every single day, no matter what, and really deeply appreciate it. And some people thought it was really morbid, but it really helped me prepare. Mm -hmm. I think I would have regrets, of course, if I ended up paralyzed, but it would have still been that sweetness of being prepared and treasuring every opportunity I had to use what I had. So that's where you're really thinking a story, this might happen, and thinking the story leads you to do something that, first of all, had it happened, you would have then been able to say, I'm glad I did that. But even in the swimming before it happened, you probably enjoyed that swimming. Totally. Well, and I'm, I was conscious of really enjoy this, really soak it up, because yeah. it might be the last time. I, yeah. I was not trying to tell myself a story that this was going to be the end of my yeah. swimming, but yeah. that, um, that I was here right now. Yeah, but one of the things I'm thinking about, Nancy, is what if we got up every morning and thought, this is it. This is my last day walking on my two feet and, you know, up and down the stairs, and this is my last going into the gym, this is my last yoga class, this is my last breakfast with my person. Wouldn't we, I, you know, would I bring up my annoyance at whatever it was? <laughs> yeah. So um, when I was 46, I was diagnosed with MS, and um, I remember after the diagnosis, I'm in a theater and I'm thinking to myself, oh my God, I don't know if I'm gonna stop breathing, in the wheelchair for the rest of my life. And it was just, and all of a sudden there was a sense of relief. It was like, I have no control. Mm. And it was a huge sense of relief. And then I thought, I better do whatever I want to do now. Mm -hmm. you know? And it was just like this shift. I quit my job. I decided never to do anything. I didn't want to, whatever. And it was just, I've been blessed that I haven't had a lot of effects of it. But that, that shift for me was life-changing. And tell me again your name. Shirley. Shirley, I, first of all, thank you very much. And are you, you look fairly well. Are you? you know, I just, I've been fine. <laughs> I've had a few bouts and then that's it. So um, may, it, may it stay, may it stay. And every time I've walked since then, it's like, thank you. Yeah, may it stay. And that particular wisdom that you said about may I, may I really do what I want to do in this life and know that I'm really doing what I want to do. May I be awake in my life. So what, really what I want to talk about is how in a life where we don't at this moment feel jeopardized, remember to live it as if we were, you know, that uh, with that kind of heightened awareness. What? Uh, I just also think that getting old is a perk in that way because you don't put stuff on. Yeah. <laughs> you do what you do what you're going to do right now because you don't know. I'm trying to think about, about how about that how that comes up in my. I think so. Yeah, I was trying to think of a concrete example of that. Uh, uh, that isn't. That isn't part of the old age silliness. Like I don't buy green bananas, but there, there's a there's a but the, which is just a silliness. But 
you know, that what do I, what do, that, that's just a silliness, just erase that from the record. No, no, but, but, you know, how to, how to really, how to really do, wait, I, I had just written down something that I wanted to really tell you, wait, wait, wait. Wait, 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 wait. There was something that was really important to say, and I just wrote it down. And now, I don't know where I wrote it down. Um, yeah. Bananas. My parents, my dad is almost 98, my mom is going to be 96. They buy ripe bananas, and they buy green because I, I really wanted to talk about, let's think about, first of all, think about, uh, uh, with, in, in contact with these two people who are in contact with people fulfilling bucket lists, I began to think about if I had one. You know, if there was something that I still wanted to do. Because you just said, Shirley, do what you want to do now. Why do you, why do you, why you still can? Uh, and what, what keeps us from doing that. And, well, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Now, there's the obvious one about real-life constraints like that, but how about, I'll stop worrying when such and such happens, you know, that, uh, because I think that part of the story, uh, that the, the one, one part of what Shirley was sharing, this is a very important one about, we can't just say, okay, tomorrow I'm going to go see the pyramids, I always wanted to, but um, what, I, what I think I probably would like to do more and I don't know if you can just decide because you can't buy it, is I'd like to have a mind that actually is able to say this is what's happening, yeah. and I'm fine with it. I'd like that to happen before <laughs> the 11th hour. So here's, but here's one more really important thing I want to add to the mix because we're, we're sending in stories and people are sending in stories that are Dharma stories that you can learn from. Oh, I know, it was the, the line from Matisse about uh, uh, I want people to be able to put down their burden. How can, how do you, how, what's the trick? How does a mind feel relieved of its burdens regardless of what the situation is? How do they put them down? Uh, and I want to tell you the strawberry story, but, and I did that. Okay, so now we're going to think about, suppose a mind were really filled all the time with the knowledge that you never know. There was a, a teacher, uh, the Providence Zen, the, the, the man who established the Zen Center in Providence, Long Island, was a um, 
Korean monk. Uh, he was called uh, Sun Sanim, was the affectionate name that his students called him. And I met him one time, and he was known by his general response to most things, which was capsulized as, I don't know, only keep don't know mind. You never know. So uh, the, the, the story, that uh, the Dharma story that goes along with you never know, which goes along with maintaining equanimity, is sometimes called the Chinese farmer story, depending on where you tell the story. But let's say it's the Chinese farmer. It could be the, the Kansas farmer story or any farmer story. Uh, a farmer has a horse in a community where they're plowing by hand. Everybody thinks he's very fortunate because he's got a horse. He doesn't have to plow by pushing the plow. And one day his horse is missing, and everybody thinks, how sad. You know, it's a, this is bad news. He's lost his horse now. And then by and by, I, and he says, you never know. And a few days later, his horse returns, bringing with it a wild horse. So everybody says, oh, what? Is, this is very good news because now he's got two horses. And he says, you never know. And then his son goes to train this wild horse and gets thrown off and breaks his leg. And people say, oh, it's bad news now. His son can't walk well anymore. People say, bad news. And the following week, the king's army comes through the, that area recruiting people for a war. And he can't be recruited because he can't walk well. They say, oh, it's good news. It was really good news. And then, so he's home and he can continue to farm. He's home and he continues to farm, and then there's a drought. So they say, this is bad news because now the farm fails. But the farm fails, so he goes in a monastery, and he gets enlightened. So they say, see, it's good news. because, And the whole point of that story, which any of us could tell about our lives, that this happens, oh, this is terrible, oh, this is terrible, oh, this is terrible. And if only this would happen, it'll be okay. And I think about, it popped in my mind as I was thinking about that. You never know whether, what, what's going to be okay. What makes newspaper stories is headlines that say, um, couple killed as they leave on their honeymoon trip. That seems to be like, you don't see every day in the paper about the couples that are killed in automobile accidents here or there. But on a honeymoon trip, it suddenly is a feature story because that really grabs you. Oh, just as they drove away and they're leaving on their honeymoon. Like there's something about it like it shouldn't happen right then. It should happen, if it's going to happen, it should happen a year later or <laughs> 10 years later, but not in that moment. That somehow, doesn't your mind kind of hold that? It should happen another time. Uh, it's the same when you think it's not worse to die on a honeymoon than it is to die six months later or six months before, it's, it's, a, it's a sad thing for everybody who's involved whenever it is. And I think that maybe we tell ourselves, oh, look at this sad, sad thing, to keep ourselves encapsulating sad, sad things to certain circumstances, you know, that it's, it's not going to happen just when you're walking down the street or 10 years into a marriage. You know? I'm not in a sad circumstance kind of a way that that those are the things. But really, when somebody just said it before, you never know. On any day, you never know. And that our mind, I think, says, well, everything's all right. It's not going to rain today. The sun is shining. I don't need, I, you know, it's an easy day. We don't know. 
I was going to tell you, uh, I was going to use this to move into, and I can do it if I do it fast enough. <laughs> Is that your ringtone? <laughs> What is it? It barks? It's a family guy. It's his kid. Ma, ma, ma. You know how many kids have. And then the mom says what? And the kid says nothing. No, no, no. Actually, I got interviewed the other day. It doesn't even matter from where, from some website that was going to print that interview. And they said, uh, and they quoted me, they said, years ago we heard you in an interview with so-and-so, and you said that no matter how much equanimity you could manage to establish in your mind, that there were two words that would crumble any amount of mind equanimity that you had. And she said, but you didn't say what two words it was. So I said, well, the two words have to follow the phone ringing. And you pick up the phone, and someone says, hello, Ma. And then, <laughs> in a bad tone of voice, you know, then the whole equanimity. But it, what I really, really wanted to get us around to, anyway, I almost said I lamented took me so long, but I, I'm not into lamenting anymore. It's not good for you to lament. It happened. Uh, I, wanted to, I wanted to talk about how the mind creates stories out of what looks like Sometimes that, here, I'll start the sentence, that we sometimes don't, tell, don't realize that what we are thinking is an experience is actually an experience plus a story we've told ourselves for whatever reason about the experience. Two years ago, when I first got back after two years ago, a year and a half ago, January, when I got back from France and my husband had been so sick in France, I told a story here of wheeling my suitcase through the Perpignan train station and an early morning hour, and he was on some other flight coming home with medical help. And I'm traveling by myself. I'm really tired. I've spent three weeks with him in intensive care. Come around a corner, pulling my, my suitcase, and I see that there are three flights of stairs up to the track to the train I'm going to catch, and that the escalator right next to it is not working. So you come around the corner, you look at that, the light's flashing, Perpignan train is boarding, I come around the corner. And from behind me, a voice says, Je vous aide, madame. And someone picks my suitcase right out of my hand. I'll help you, madame. Someone takes my suitcase, runs up the stairs with them, some tall, big, strong young man, runs up the stairs, stops at the top of the stairs, puts his suitcase down, looks down at me, points to where he's leaving the suitcase, waves, and disappears into the crowd. So I came back, and, I, and really my heart picked up. You know, so in the middle of, I was, you know, I was really tired and upset and unhappy, and it was a bad time. And all of a sudden, I thought, oh, see, everything's going to be all right. People will help you out. People take care of you. It's an okay world. Okay. And I came home, and I thought about all my whole long trip home, I was thinking, it came in my mind on and off, and every time I thought about it, it picked up my heart. And I came back here, and many of you probably, who was here when I told that story? Because I told that story, and many people said, you know, 
they reflected on someone said eight years ago it happened to me that da, 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 they told the story of someone helped them out and five years ago someone else someone else helped them out it's really it makes you feel good about the world the world is a good place people are going to help you out so in uh, March of this year no February of this year a year later I am taking the shuttle. I arrive in uh, Gare du Nord because I've been in Amsterdam and I have to catch a train in Gare de Lyon. And there's a uh, two-stop metro that takes you from one to the other. I'm pushing my roll every way suitcase ahead of me. And I'm wearing my travel bag, which goes across your chest so that you're really protected and protecting it all the time, in front of me. And I come to get onto that train, that metro, big throng of people. My husband is lost in the crowd. I'm not at all worried about him because I figure he'll get off two stops later. I'll find him. And the doors open. People are pushing to get on. And a voice from behind me says, Je vous aide, madame. I'll help you. And I thought to myself, there it is. Je vous aide. You know, the world is ready to help you. And he picks up my suitcase and he puts it way into the well, into the train on the other side, right by where the door is open on the other side, and I'm going to have to get out. And pushed right up in the crowds all around me, and I'm right up in front of a really tall person. I look up at him, and I'm looking around. I can't see my husband anywhere. And I'm thinking, you know, my mind is so relaxed. It's just a pleasure to be in a world where you don't worry, even when you can't see where you are exactly. I know I have to get off in two stops, but I don't know these people, but I just really feel it's wonderful. Look at the world. You can be with all total strangers, and, you know, it's a trustworthy world. I'm standing like that, actually noticing how relieved, how relaxed I am and liking that. And the man in front of me starts to have a coughing fit. Cough, cough, you know, like a big seizure of coughing. And what you do when someone coughs right in your face is you turn your head. So I turn my head. I'm not thinking I'm turning my head. I think I'm getting away from this terrible disease that this guy has. (laughs) Stops coughing. The door opens. He gets out. And uh, my purse is unzipped. And my wallet is gone. And my eyeglass case is gone. And my passport is gone. And everything is out of it. And that was the same. She said, Madame, I'm going to help you. And uh, I couldn't believe it. You know, uh, I actually didn't see it until I got off the train. I found my husband. I said, oh, let's stop here and buy a sandwich. And I see my, my, my purse is unzipped. And I see my passport, every single thing, my identity. In my purse was all my money, my credit cards, my medical card, my social security card, my health insurance, my uh, uh, my driver's license, my Safeway card, <laughs> everything was in that, and money was in there. My little tiny copy of the Third Zen, the Faith Basis of the Third Zen Patriarch that I'd carried around for 30 years in my purse, which you may have seen me taken out of here to read. My 57-year-old picture of my eldest son when he was three weeks old, all in that purse, all gone. And I couldn't believe it. I, you know, I kept looking. I borrowed somebody. Uh, my, my husband had his credit card, so I could see how to, the phone number to stop the French credit card. 
And I was so shook up. I got, I got the woman, people are kind. I got the woman next to me boarding this next train to call that phone number because my French is fine. But on the phone, in a crowd, when I'm all upset to explain my credit card, I thought I'd get a native speaker to do that, which she did. Calls the number, stops the card. I call my son in the United States to stop all my other cards. He calls me back 10 minutes later. He says, I stopped all the other cards. It, in that 15-minute period, uh, they had already charged more than 6,000 6, euros on that card. I, you know, I wasn't responsible. The credit card company does that. But it's a, it's, a, it's a business, you know. People know how to do that. So Bob, the part I want to tell you is I kept all day, even after he told me, I've stopped the cards, they've already been using them, so they're all stopped. I kept on unzipping the purse to see if the purse was really gone. And, you know, and putting my hand in and feeling around. I couldn't believe that it wasn't in there. Even if I knew it wasn't in there, I couldn't believe it was, wasn't in there. So then I went back. Here's a story about the story that I'm telling myself. I realized when the first experience happened, the first experience was someone was really helpful in the Perpignan train station. That's what happened. <laughs> and he said, you was said, madame. That also happened. It also happened, <laughs> and I extrapolated from that. People are kind. People will help you out. It's a world of peace. You can depend on other people. The last line of streetcar is, I have always depended on the kindness of strangers. That's my tagline. I love that line. Uh, it's nothing. Uh, the real truth is, I once had somebody be very helpful to me in the train station, and I once got pickpocketed <laughs> in another train station. That's all. That's the whole thing what happened to me. And I construct a world with a worldview where people are kind. So the reason I'm telling you that whole story again is I had not really recognized, and I hadn't even considered the fact that my worldview uh, extrapolation from the first experience was a worldview extrapolation. It, was, it, it wasn't what happened to me. It was an opinion I decided on. If I made an opinion now, you know, you can't be safe anywhere, you never know, travel safe, bags, whatever. That's not true either. Some people are kind, some people are not kind. I don't even know if the person who pickpocketed me is an unkind person. Maybe the, the, maybe the circumstances, maybe it's the empty boat. I don't know what his circumstances are. Maybe his family has not eaten for a while. Maybe he really, who knows? I don't know anything except the Sufis say, praise God and tie your camel to a post. You know? <laughs> it's all very well to say people are good. I think people are good when they're in relaxed circumstances. And also, not all circumstances are the same. But to be able to see how I construct my view of the world. So the thing I want to leave you with just for now, so you think about it till we meet again in... Such a long time, three weeks, I think. Last two weeks of uh, June, I'll be here. May, I'll be here. And last two weeks of June. That's what I want you to think about. I don't mind that I made that whole worldview out of the first one. It really kept me company all the way home. Look how nice people are. Look how dependable people are. It's not exactly uh, a, a, a valid conclusion about people. 
It was my experience on that day. How helpful. I could have thought how helpful of that person, how nice. I didn't have to extrapolate. But maybe the extrapolation kept me comfortable for the whole day. Maybe it was, a, I, you know, I don't know what I want to come to as a conclusion. Should I always have my eyes wide open to the truth and what I'm embellishing? Or should I, um, I don't know, you know where it came up? It's 11. Last week, when I first came in, because of the building and whatever, there weren't so many people here. And then I said, you know, I hope you know, more people will come. And I said, if more people don't come, I probably will not say to myself, ah, everybody's tired of me. I'll probably say, it's because of the building. It's because of the construction on Sir Francis Drake. It's because of the weather. It's because of the bad news. It's because of the drought in California. You know, it, it's, I think that we build ourselves out of the stories we tell ourselves. And I, and I'm ha and I was happy to think that. That that might completely not be true, but, you know, maybe people are tired. But it might completely not be true, but I'm happy that the stories I tell myself are consoling stories, I think, by and large. Mm -hmm. I don't think to myself, I did it wrong. And that's a whole other story, but I think we construct ourselves, I, I think we... When I first got interested in the human potential movement, which was you know, how I met Angie, and the, what I, the, all the people thinking about consciousness in the 60s and 70s, people used to say, we construct our own reality. And I think that's nonsense. I can't cause the sun to rise in the West. I mean, I can't construct my own reality. But I think we construct our own reality. And I, 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 I really want to think about that. I can't make the sun rise in the West, but... Um, but I, I, I really do think we construct our own reality and that, in fact, there's a way in which we can choose to put our burdens down. <coughs> so may all beings everywhere put their burdens down. Choose to put their burdens down um, and be well and drive carefully. And I'll see you in a couple of weeks. God willing. <laughs> Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.